Welcome to Sabbath School for May 30, 2020. We are on the ninth lesson of the second quarter, looking again at Genesis as history and the issues that go along with it as we try to understand how to read and interpret the Bible. A great lesson study. I'm excited to dive in, but as always, we need to start with our mission program. This week, our mission spotlight, representing the global work of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is about an, an inspiring church plant in Spain. Take a look. On this quiet street in Madrid, Spain, you can hear the inviting sound of worship. The music is coming from this building, where the Alcala de Henares Adventist Church meets. Today is a special Sabbath. Some members came to church early to decorate the stage. They're preparing for a special program to celebrate and appreciate the women of this church. It's a bit hard to imagine this small space filled with a hundred people, but as the program is about to start, people come in one by one. Before you know it, the place is so full some members even have to stand at the back. Five years ago, this church started with only three families. Now around a hundred people come every Sabbath. Most of that growth is because of their young people. Ha sido un proceso. The number of young people attending grew very fast. We started with only seven young people, but we dedicated our time to youth ministries. Last year, eight members were baptized, and another six accepted Christ this year. The youth gather in this small room to study the Bible. The bond among them is evident as they sing praises together and study God's Word. We try to be united and be a big family. And of course, we're very thankful that the whole church always keeps us in their prayers. This group finds ways to meet for any occasion throughout the week, not just on Sabbath. This has helped the young people grow closer. They're not afraid to talk about their lives and share their hopes for the future, but they make sure to have fun, too. They even started their own youth choir. But as much as young people are welcome in this church, it has presented them with a problem. We have a financial problem in the church because almost half of us are young people without income. So we don't have enough money to keep renting this place of worship. This group is praying for God's plan for their congregation. They want to keep growing, and there's no denying the importance of the youth in the church. As youth leader, Oliver is encouraged by what he sees and experiences with the young people. It warms my heart seeing all these young people come to church. Sometimes we go to church on Friday and stay as long as we can until about 11 p.m. On Sabbath, we go to church and stay there the whole day, enjoying worship together. I feel very good when I see this, and it helps me grow spiritually as well. Please pray for the Alcala de Henares Church as they continue to reach out to the young people and everyone in their community.
All right, now, as we talk about every week, global mission is not the only mission. We have our own local mission here in the territory of the Michigan Conference. And today we're going to do, well, Pastor Howard, something a little bit different. Yes, we are. But I'm sitting in the wrong chair for this. That's right. So we're going to swap places we're right now. We're putting you in the hot seat this week. Let's, let's do it. That's right. Ah, <clears throat> uh, yes. So, Cameron, thanks for joining us today. I'm happy for to be our here. mission feature. <laughs> Thank you. As Cameron always says, we've talked about our global mission feature, mm -hmm. but there's also local mission that we don't want to forget about. That's right. And as we have been um, doing this Sabbath school program, we actually wear four hats here in the conference office. We're, <laughs> we're, we have the Sabbath school, we kind of have them combined, Sabbath school, pers personal ministries department, mm -hmm. SSPM. But we also have something called the Emanuel Institute. Yes. And then BibleStudyOffer.com. Yes. And so today we want to talk about BibleStudyOffer.com. I'm sure our viewers have, at least some of our viewers are, I wish all of our viewers, they at the better end of today, be. you're going to be familiar with Amen. Bible Study Offer. Tell us about BibleStudyOffer.com. What is it? And okay. uh, what's, what's, why was it uh, uh, the concept, why did we come up with that? Okay, well, obviously, as you alluded to, our department operates not only Sabbath school, but Sabbath school and personal ministries. That's right. And the goal of personal ministries is to get every person doing ministries. Amen. And so we're not just doing collective ministries and big events. We want to do individualized uh, outreach. And BibleStudyOffer.com is a website that was developed for the purpose of getting more individual members uh, soliciting and giving Bible studies to their friends, families, neighbors, or even complete strangers who sign up online. So it's a vehicle for generating and following through Bible study interests. Okay, so this is an all online thing. People go online, they, they fill out the lessons online. It's Well, you would think that, but actually a lot of things that are web-based these days, you think, oh good, now I don't have to do anything with it. They'll just go to the website. But the thing is, what our goal with Bible Study Offer is, is to even if they found it online, to connect with a real person, a real local church who will follow up with their interests that they've expressed when they visited the webpage. So a lot of times we'll do, for instance, Google advertising and people are searching for keywords like Bible studies or, you know, present truth or whatever. They're, I don't know what they're looking for. But uh, as they find BibleStudyOffer.com, they say, yes, I want that. And they see the offer for free Bible studies, whether it's the It Is Written Bible studies or the uh, Landmarks of Prophecy through Amazing Facts. Mm -hmm. or, um, and they'll say, yes, I'd like that. And the website promises they will receive those, which is true, but it doesn't say they're going to receive them online or even through the mail. What they're going to get is that knock on the door from an individual layperson who's with their local church nearest by their interest. And they'll say, hi, I'm with BibleStudyOffer.com. I believe you ordered these lessons and I'm here to deliver them, right? And the people, when they sign up, will either ask for a group study or an individual study with one person or a personal study where they just want to do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. But either way, we have to give them the Bible study or at least hand them the resources so there's some personal interaction. Okay, so let me get this clear. This, this is really, in some ways, unique from, say, a Discover Bible School, which yes. is also an online thing, in that it, it doesn't just add a personal element. That's a foundational piece of BibleStudyOffer.com. Yes. BibleStudyOffer.com is the, the goal is to have every local church be its own Bible school so that they can not just put out something on a billboard and hope that people go online and then receive it after they finish the whole thing apart from the personal touch. The goal of Bible Study Offer is to weave them into relationship with individual members mm. right from the very beginning. Even if it's just dropping them off at the door, there's a face, there's a name, there's some person to connect to. 
and hopefully those transition to in-person Bible studies and then in-person visits to Sabbath school and church right. and prayer meeting and all those things. So they integrate with a personal touch from the very beginning. So this is a great opportunity for members to get involved in giving Bible studies. Absolutely. You know, where, where versus uh, a cold calling, knocking on doors uh, per se, people you've never met, th mm -hmm. these are people who are requesting Yes. Personal studies. Which in is many the cool cases. thing about that because a lot of people are hesitant or are, are a little nervous about going door to door, which we should do door to door work. And we should do the public mm -hmm. evangelism. We should do online. We should do everything, right? But this particular vehicle is built with the. It, it, it's interesting, as you mentioned, they've already expressed an interest. Right. So they're the ones who have instigated the request. So we're not like asking them if they're interested. We're fulfilling an interest they've already expressed. So when we come to the door with BibleStudyOffer.com, someone has taken the time to say, yes, I want this. Please bring it to me. And so that's one of the unique features that I really like about BSO. Well, well BSO, BibleStudyOffer.com. Yeah, so the follow-up question here mm -hmm. uh, should be an obvious one in the midst of this, this COVID situation. Yeah. This personal contact is is Bible study offer on hold now. Uh, what what's well, going on? In, yeah, <laughs> as as we had to do with like the Sabbath school program itself and Bible study offer, public evangelism, every aspect of our ministry and witness to the world, even holding church services all and prayer meetings and Sabbath school. What do you do about the COVID crisis? And I think the assumption might have been from some people that well we can't do any of that stuff. Let's just pause everything, and then when it gets back to normal, we'll get going mm -hmm. again. But the reality is right now, people are asking some really big picture questions. They're struggling through like, what is, where is the future going? What is the meaning of life? How can I have any yes. security and peace and calm? I mean, a lot of deep seated things that the Bible has answers for. And so this is a prime time for people to be, and by the way, they're at home. Yeah. A lot of them <laughs> are right. not doing their normal activities. They have more time. They might, so they've got bigger questions and more time to address them. This seems to be a sweet spot for Bible study offer. And we've actually seen, Pastor Howard, the interest level tick up during this time of the COVID crisis where more people are interested uh, because already there's been thousands of people that have expressed interest in Bible studies and there's lots of hundreds of churches over dozens of conferences that are participating with Bible study offer. But we can track and we've seen the daily interest tick up as the coronavirus mm. has, has gone through. And um, now the question might be, how do you fulfill those? Yes. And um, if you go to the Michigan Conference website, www.misda.org, they have their COVID crisis website that has all the different resources for the different departments. And you'll see there on the screen, there's one for BSO or BibleStudyOffer.com protocols for the coronavirus mm, crisis. What do you do? So we, we give some very helpful hints about how you can alleviate people's fears, how you can practice these still fulfilling Bible studies in a safe way so that we're not transmitting disease, we're actually transmitting the great hope uh, of, of life, which is the truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does a, uh, a person or a church need to do if they're not involved and they want to get involved in BibleStudyOffer.com? If they're not involved with Bible Study Offer and they're in the Michigan Conference, I would first say, how in the world did you get here? How did that possible? <laughs> but if it's, and no judging, it's okay. But please contact our department here and we will immediately get you set up with a Bible study offer account so you can be affiliated with us. We can be a partner with Bible study offer because I promise you wherever you are in the Michigan conference or even beyond, there are people right now who are asking questions, who are looking for answers, who are seeking Bible truth and you could be helping them 
through BibleStudyOffer.com. So Fantastic. please contact us and we'll get you set up with Bible Study Offer. Fantastic. Now, is there anything you would like to add in closing words to our viewing audience? Sure. Well, BibleStudyOffer.com is going to continue to expand. I, I don't want to give too much away, but we're excited about the expansion to a mobile platform, about some maybe some broader uh, Bible study resources that might be available, some different uh, demographics we're trying to reach in creative ways. So there's some rebranding, some expansion, some depth that's coming into Bible Study Offer right now. Uh, I can't say that it's up and running right now, but look for it in the near future as those steps are rolled out. But uh, the giving of Bible studies is not just a passing thing or a faddish notion. It is here to stay, and I believe it's going to be, as we've seen, maybe we won't have large congregations, maybe, but that personal work will go through until Jesus comes. So I'm excited about it. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us here today, I'm Cameron, to, to share it. about BibleStudyOffer.com. What a powerful testimony that was about BibleStudyOffer.com. Don't you think so, Pastor Howard? <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> it was terrific. But we've looked at our global mission feature. We've talked about our local conference-wide work through BibleStudyOffer.com. But let's see another one of those testimonies of how the Lord is working through individual members to give the gospel to the world. Check it out. Joyce Stevenson. I am a member of the Ithaca Seventh-day Adventist Church in Ithaca, Michigan. I've been a member of the church probably over 30 years now. My first contact with Adventism was through a kind gentleman that was doing in-gathering. But at the time I didn't know it was called in-gathering. And I was so impressed that he was so kind, even the fact that I didn't have any money to give him. He asked me about my little girl and he didn't seem upset that I didn't have any money. But he gave me some materials. When the man gave me the materials, I remember reading them and I was really impressed by the work that was going on around the world. I said, this seems really real and genuine. And I remember there was a card in there of something you could send away for. And I put it aside and was going to do it later. And of course, you know what happens when you do something later? You lose the card had misplaced the card and I didn't send away for it right away. Probably about six months to perhaps a year had passed and things were much harder and I felt like I really need what that man had on that card. I really needed that and now I realized it was the Holy Spirit working on my heart and I prayed, dear God, please send the man back. I promise I will not throw the card away this time and I will send for it. And I even went to the neighbors to see if he knew when he might be coming back. And they said, oh, yes, he does. And he's so friendly and kind, and we invite him in, and we've gotten to know him quite well. And so I had hope he's coming back. Then later, I told my babysitter about this, that I wanted to start studying the Bible. And she said, well, I've been going through this Bible study, and it's been really good. So I decided I'd go with her. So I went. And guess who was there? The man was there. I was so excited, but of course I was so timid that I didn't say anything to him at all. I just kind of quietly studied the Bible. And when I started studying these truths, I came to know Jesus instead of about him. And I love this. It's like a gold mine of treasures that I've been looking for all my life. And in a few months, that journey led me to be baptized. When I saw the man at prayer meeting, 
Like I said before, I was so excited he was there because it was an answer to my prayer to find him so I would be able to find the Bible studies to learn God's truth. I think that's why I have a passion for in-gathering because I know how earnestly I was longing and praying for light. I was praying for him to come back. And it's been over 30 years and I still have that same passion for in-gathering because somebody out there is praying. Send somebody, send somebody to give me truth and light and we need to be going. So when I go in-gathering and I'm in charge of some of the materials now, I make sure there are offers in there for Bible studies and I pray over it because who impressed me of what I needed? It was the Holy Spirit. God sends His angels and the Holy Spirit with all of His materials and He will bring people who are searching for truth and light. Okay, so we have seen our global, local, and personal ministry feature, and now it is time to transition to our lesson study. We have a Bible study today that I, I, I keep saying, somebody got on to me this week about making fun of the fact that I always say it's fantastic, but it's interesting, it's intriguing, it's thought-provoking. I, I, I really appreciated these lessons, and we're finishing up uh, our Genesis study about foundations this week in lesson nine. I, I would think you have quite the vocabulary that, you know, you, you know, it is fantastic, but if somebody wants, you know, there's got to be some really great eight-cylinder word that... I'm going to try to think of some better words, but I keep thinking like, but it's mind-blowing, it's fascinating, <laughs> and I keep coming back to fascinating, I land Amen. there, but I'm, I'm going I'm to try to broaden my horizons and get a little uh, less repetitious. We'll see what we can do. But that really has nothing to do with the lesson. Exactly <laughs> it's right. just talking now. Uh, but what we do want to talk about before we dive into our lesson is our memory verse. Pastor Howard, talk to us a little bit about the memory verse. Well, it's, it's, I'm already, it's a great idea. In fact, I'm really excited that we have gone down the little road we have with the memory mm -hmm. verse instead of just reading the memory verse. And we've gotten some good feedback and good participation. What we haven't had are a lot of submissions of the memory verse. Now, folks, we're not asking for some super stellar quality. <laughs> just take, everybody has, just about everybody has a phone you can video with. Mm -hmm. And this week's memory verse, I think I learned this when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you if you didn't, you could just practically, I can say it and you could probably turn around and repeat it. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalm 19, verse one. Memorize that memory verse and make a short video of it and send it in and we will love to include you in the Sabbath School program. Amen. Well, here is this week's memory verse. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalms 19, one. Thank you, in all seriousness, for those who have submitted those memory verses. We appreciate those who are willing to take the memory verse challenge and share your recitation with us. Please continue to submit those, and we'll put them to use here in our Sabbath School program. Amen. Now, we have a great lesson to get into, yes, we but do. before we do any lesson study, we have to start with In fact, a word of prayer. this is a fascinating lesson. Fantastic <laughs> lesson. What were the words? Uh, fascinating. All of it. It's all. Of all. It. It's all the words you yeah, can think of. It's that good. Okay, but can you start us with a word of prayer? Yes, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are just thankful for your Sabbath day and the privilege we have of uh, fellowshipping, even though it is in this different format, uh, coming together as your people, studying your word, 
being affirmed, Lord, in the, our confidence in Scripture. Guide us now by your Holy Spirit in this study. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as people have probably noted, this is Lesson 9, and it's Part 2 of the Genesis focus about, you know, this whole quarter is about biblical hermeneutics, how to interpret Scripture, and the authors, the contributors to this uh, quarter's lessons wanted to make sure that we had a very clear understanding of the biblical story and I believe the true history of the creation account and its impact on how we interpret all the rest of Scripture. So they wanted to make sure that we are square on this. So it's a a very valuable topic. It is. And uh, I wanted to interject this week um, since I misplaced my quarterly and then discovered it in your bag. I don't know how we (laughs) we ended up doing that. What do you do when you don't have the lesson? Well, I just got on our website, michigansspm.org, mm-hmm. went to our resources page, and there's a link right there to the website where the quarterly lessons can be viewed or downloaded and printed off, which I did. Mm-hmm. And so I found my quarterly, but I'm using this lesson just to say to you, if you don't have a copy, they're e- very easy to get, and you'll see the link on the bottom of the screen to go to that. And we, I would encourage you to go through that lesson. You'll get more out of what we cover in our lesson study. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. A very practical thing that I'm sure you plan to do to be a helpful aid. For yes, <laughs> exactly. yes. But I meant w- to do that. Exactly. Whether you're viewing it <laughs> online or you have it printed off or you have the actual quarterly book, uh, our lesson this week is about Genesis's Foundation Part 2. And it starts off with the idea of the, you know, pr- people probably have in mind that at least people nowadays have the idea that there are people who are scientists who you know, disavow the Bible, and then yes. there's faith-based people who follow it but aren't really scientific. Right. But the lesson just starts off with the idea that... In fact, great you almost have to be kind of ignorant to right. accept the Bible in, in the face of, you know, scientific discrepancy. That's the mindset. Right. But, this, but the lesson starts off with just a list of renowned, revered scientists who have contributed great That's things right. to our world who are Bible-believing Christians all Moda, along. Mo- probably most notably Sir Isaac Newton. Absolutely. Who was... It's been said he's written more on the Bible than on science. Mm. Student of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, etc. Right. And by the way, have, I don't know if you've seen the interesting thing going around now about the history of Isaac Newton, that it was during a quarantine because of a plague that was happening <laughs> that he developed calculus. I had heard that. So maybe if you're bored, you can come up with a new branch of mathematics, <laughs> yes. too, during this time. Sure. But clearly he was not a, a uh, an unintelligent man. He, That's right. He, he was, or a non-scientific man. Absolutely. And so yet at the same time, he was a staunch advocate of the Bible. His and scientific understanding actually contributed to his faith. Right, exactly. But now we have this idea that to be faithful mm-hmm. is to be mindless. And the, re- the reality is it's just not true. That's a very good point you make. And our lesson, so diving into this week's mm-hmm. lesson, um, there's something right there on uh, Sabbath afternoon's lesson that asks, it poses the question that launches into our study this week at the bottom of the page, uh, last paragraph there on Sabbath afternoon, it asks the questions, does the Bible teach an antiquated, unscientific view of cosmology? Was the biblical account simply borrowed from the surrounding pagan nations, something that people say was the case? Was the Bible culturally conditioned by its place and time? Or does its inspired nature elevate us to a view of origins that is complete in its divine framework? These are some of the issues we will touch on in this week's lesson. So mm-hmm. this is where we're heading this week. Okay. And it started out, ironically enough, with the flat earth. <laughs> and I, I want to tell you that somebody had mentioned to me, I, it's probably been a couple years ago now, 
something called the Flat Earth Society, and I really thought it was a joke. Yeah, it almost, I mean, even <laughs> when you brought it up, I saw it in the lesson, I just started to chuckle. I was like, is that really a thing we're talking about? And I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and what I found interesting in the lesson, and I learned a little bit more than I did knew before about the Flat Earthers, the people who believe this, but uh, I, on a Wikipedia article entitled uh, Modern Flat Earth Societies, it says modern flat earth societies are organizations that promote the pseudoscientific belief that the earth is flat while denying the earth's sphericity, contrary to over two millennia of scientific consensus. There are those, I'm sorry, those who are serious are often motivated by religion or conspiracy theories and probably a little bit of both. Right? <laughs> and so I, I, that, that really grabbed my attention, Cameron, that this this emanates from so-called Bible-believing Christians. Right. And we quoted last week from Eugenie Scott, who is the executive director of the National Center for Science Education, where she had made the point that we shared last week that the majority of mainline Protestant seminaries are teaching theistic evolution. Mm -hmm. Well, she's quoted in this particular article, and she makes the point that um, the group of Flat Earth Society uh, uh, believers are, quote, extreme biblical literalist theology. Mm. The earth is flat because the Bible says it's flat regardless of what science tells us. And now, when you and I were discussing this yes. earlier about what we, you know, how we would t introduce this topic, and, and the idea, even to this very week, was very foreign to me that if you were to just pick up the Bible and read it, <laughs> yeah. you would stumble into the flat earth. It, but I hear people say like, oh, that's a non-scientific, unenlightened, that's an old, and they'll think back to Bible times with the right. implication being that all those people, Moses, the patriarchs and prophets, the, you know, Jesus, who knows who else, yes. thought that the earth was flat. Yes. And it's only recently we've understood, we've come out of our caveman dwellings to see that right. the earth is an orb. And I don't know about you, Incidentally, but I, <laughs> okay. we talked about this too. Caveman dwellings is part of evolutionary theory, not biblical theory, which we're going right, to get exactly, into later. Right, exactly. But that's the thinking is that, 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 that all of yes. that was darkness and we came into the enlightenment right. of science. And now we know that But the implication is if you take the Bible seriously, well, then you had to believe the earth was flat just like they did. Yeah. But I never once noticed anything in the Bible that taught Christian. flat earth. <laughs> in fact, one of the main texts that they use... Uh, in fact, uh, maybe before going to that, one mm -hmm. of the things the lesson refers to are the passages where it says, for example, in Revelation 7, 1, it talks about the four corners of the earth. Right. But even flat earthers don't believe the earth is square, so they wouldn't right. have corners. <laughs> right. Uh, obviously, that's figurative language. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I've never met personally anybody who takes that language literally. Right. The four winds of heaven talk about north, south, east, and west. Right. I mean, this is four the, cardinal directions doesn't mean you believe well, in a skew. One of the main <laughs> reasons that you wouldn't believe the, the, the earth was square, the Bible ever taught that, is a text like Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. Mm -hmm. That, in fact, we ought to look that up. This okay. is a key one in um, the lesson itself and a key position, apparently, of the Flat Earth Society folks, which I've always used it. As for a exactly demonstration, the opposite exactly of the wasn't. spherical earth exactly. and not a flat earth. But in Isaiah 40, verses 21 and 22, um, the Bible says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, etc., etc. So mm -hmm. I've always thought, hey, that's fascinating. It talks about the earth being 
spherical. Circular. <laughs> and I, you, again, you assume that means spherical. That's not right. Not just two-dimensionally circular. But <laughs> apparently the Flat Earth Society will take this and say the Bible teaches that the Earth is a disk. And, mm. so, and so people like Eugenie Scott come away and say, you know, this is, this is what happens when people read the Bible literally. Well, that's yeah. really not the case. And we were talking about this, first right. of all, if the Earth were a flat disk, if you were viewing it from space, it would only appear as a circle from mm -hmm. one direction. Mm -hmm. It could be, if you know, you take a quarter right. and you turn it sideways, it's a line. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, an ellipse. And so uh, the text, I think, speaks more to the spherical nature. And in fact, evidently translators did too, because in early Latin versions of the scripture, mm. um, the the uh, the language Greek, used there, right? Yeah. The, uh, not the Greek, but the Hebrew word is ku, which is translated circle or or round or whatever. Uh, it was translated in the Latin translations with the words sphera and globus, where we get the <laughs> word sphere and globe. So even the translators just reading through that, the the first impression they got scripturally was not that the Earth is a flat disk, mm -hmm. but that it's a globe. Right. Well, one of the other passages that always, you know, when I think about this, I look at Job 38, verse 31. Now, in this instance, the Lord is speaking uh, rhetorically to Job. In fact, he says, you just listen. I'm going to ask you some questions and see if you can even yes. possibly answer. Right. So he's going to talk about big ideas, right? And he talks about here, um, the Lord speaking to Job says, can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? So those are references to truth stars and, 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 and formations in the heavens, you know, astronomical features that even in Bible times they understood were bound together by like things like gravitational forces right. and, they, and man cannot bind or loose the things in the heaven that God has declared, that God has set up. But clearly there's an understanding that those stars, those heavenly bodies are in orbits, that they have gravitational pull, that, they, that they're not, you know, that they're not just a disk out there floating and so, that, all of the things that we understand the earth to be, a sphere with the heavenly That's bodies right. like the sun, the moon, the stars, were understood at those times too, that the That's earth right. was a circle, that there were stars in the heavens bound by gravitational forces. This is not foreign to the no, Bible. No, and is in perfect harmony with biblical teaching. And you mentioned the gravitational forces, and right. I was reading an article by a Bible-believing Christian <laughs> who read the Bible literally. Mm -hmm for some of the scientific reasons to support the spherical Earth. For example, the force of gravity is equal around the planet, and mm. he said if the Earth were a disk, gravity would pull it into a globe. You know? Interesting. And so um, our magnetic, the magnetic field of the Earth would be different, if not a, even non-existent, because it's dependent on the core of the Earth in our global structure and everything else. So there's, there's, there's so, so many. many yeah. yeah we're, and I, I don't want to take the... The point that, that I want to make is that we don't need to go contrary to Scripture right. to believe in science. And, and, and so that's we've the talked about point, yeah. pe We've talked about Christians on the one side who want to be so in harmony with certain areas of science that they'll jettison uh, a belief in what Scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. But now we're kind of on the other side of that, where there are some Christians who will take a, it, who will spin their reading of Scripture and then debunk all science. Right. And so the, the point of this is, and I think this is probably what the lesson contributors were trying yes. to point out, is not that there's lots of Adventists struggling with a flat earth thing, but it's just an example of how they're 
is an unnecessary sometimes tension between the Bible and right. science when the reality is that science and the scriptures are actually two sides of the same coin, that they are uh, both from the same creator's hand and they Absolutely. harmonize beautifully. And there's no need to create problems that don't exist. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, uh, the lesson moves on into what I've called the creation legend. <laughs> okay. And I'll explain what I mean after I read Monday's lesson. Monday's lesson, first paragraph, makes this point. Archaeologists have discovered texts from ancient Egypt and the Near East that contain pri uh, primeval histories of the creation and the flood. This has caused some to wonder whether the Genesis account was borrowed from these cultures or was dependent in some way on them. Mm. But is such things really the case? And so some have alleged that, you know, you've heard of the story of Gilgamesh, perhaps, or some mm -hmm, of these others mm -hmm. that say, well, they have a flood story in their history, and so maybe Moses just borrowed that from them. But couldn't it be just as easily the case that, man, what are the odds that all these varied cultures all <laughs> around the world all have, from yes, the same time, right. a massive flood story in their histories? That's right. Uh, th to me, that lends credibility to the fact that there was indeed a flood. Um, That's right. Well, I had three observations that I walked away with okay. uh, from this. Uh, considering the Genesis story is true, which we believe, mm -hmm. and there was a worldwide flood, then it would be part of every culture's history. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, they would if mention it really it. <laughs> happened, yeah. it doesn't, I'm not talking about Israel culture. That's right. You know, after the flood, the Bible's clear that there were nations who went and decided not to follow God. That's right. Okay? But they still would have had a flood in their history, mm -hmm. right? And so they're going to have some kind of flood narrative and think about what kind of flood story, like if you, if, if God sent a flood on the earth because man turned his back on God, and then after the flood, you turned your back on God. Are you wanting to include in your historical story of the, the flood? The whole God part about it. Yeah. And the no, you're going to come sin. up with yeah. something else. And incidentally, this shouldn't be a stretch for us because we know one, we've already talked about one of the distinct differences in biblical history is that history, Bible history records the faults of its heroes as mm -hmm. well as it. But we know that human history often kind of turns things to the favor of mm -hmm. whatever it's trying to promote. Right. So it shouldn't be a far reach for us to think, well, let's see, people after the flood who didn't want to acknowledge that God sent the flood to destroy for the wickedness right. of the earth would come up with another account. That's right. He who wins the battle writes the books. That's oftentimes. right. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> hey, if I'm still here, I'm going to tell it in a way that's favorable to me. That's right. And that only makes sense. Now, so, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, another thing I was going to bring out is that, and this is interesting to me, first of all, that the devil and his angels were there at the flood. Mm. And they don't want humanity to come away with a confidence in, the, you know, let's put it in the question format. Is there any reason the devil and his angels would want to lead people to forget or lose confidence in the biblical history? Mm. <laughs> you know, when we get into the, we talked about in supernatural uh, spiritualism. Mm -hmm. You know, people will, I've, this amazes me. Somebody will say, well, I didn't believe in spiritualism, but, but there, there's this guy, he's a spirit medium, and he told me things that nobody else could know. Well, let me give you a newsflash. The devil and his angels know him. Mm. The devil and I, there's a whole realm of beings, spiritual beings that see things and are aware of things we don't see, who have a, <laughs> an agenda to lead people away from a confidence in the Word of God. So mm. that's another element that could lead to varied histories of 
uh, origin. Yes. Well, and it, and I don't know if we're ready to go here or not, but this reminds me, it's just racing to my mind, 2 Peter chapter 3. Yes. Where the, the Bible talks about the attitude of people that will be existent in the days in which we are now living, right? The, in where the are last we going, 2 Peter? 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, and we're going to start with this, we'll just start with verse 3. It's a, it's a common passage, but we want to look at it in the light yes. of this creation and flood uh, perspective here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, I think this is important. It says, walking according to their own lusts. Mm. So it doesn't just say that they are making fun of people, but it says the reason why That's is because right. they're following what they want to do, and so they're making fun of what you believe, right? They're scoffing. Yes. And here's what they're saying in their scoffing. And saying, verse 4, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Notice their mindset is that what we see today is exactly what always has been. There's been no change. Nothing's mm -hmm. ever been different. So there can't be any supernatural. There's no accountability. There's no judgment. There's no second coming. But then he adds, Peter writes in verse 5, For this they willfully forget. Now, Mark, do you catch, do you catch that phrase, willfully forget? Absolutely. That they're, they're consciously removing from their remembrance. They're willfully forgetting something. That's right. And the reason they're willfully forgetting is because so they, they're walking this is not, the They didn't forget it. Right. It they didn't chose just... to conveniently forget it. Exactly. Like, nah, I don't want to believe. I don't want to remember that. And what are the things they willfully forget? Yeah. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old yeah. and the earth standing out of water and in water. And now that's a reference to the creation story, right? Yes. And then it goes on verse six, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. Now, I, I wonder the creation and the flood are the two things they willfully forget because they're walking according to their own lusts. They don't want to be accountable right. to God, and they have to push out of, these, of their minds the biblical story, the reminder that God built this world and he has destroyed it. And thus, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Yes. So there's a willful forgetfulness of the true history of this planet because if you recognize God's place in it and the historicity of the story, then that automatically brings you to there's a creator and a, he can be destroyer and I'm accountable to him. And they willfully forget because they don't want that accountability. I wonder if there are people in Peter's day that were saying, yeah, it was 1,500 years ago. What is it? It's irrelevant to us now. Yeah. Do you think there are people in his day that may have been said, the flood story? Come on, are you still yeah. believe in that? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. They're doing it today. Yes, they absolutely as well. are. Um, this reminds me of a statement that I've, I've uh, read in Patriarchs and Prophets, and you'll see it on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's on page 44. Notice how this is worded. It says, men are so intent upon excluding God from sovereignty of the universe that they degrade man and defraud him of the dignity of his origin. Ooh. That is a full statement. That's it, it, pretty much what you were just saying. Right. Like, I don't want God to be sovereign. I don't want him to be on the throne. I don't want him to be in charge. And they're so intent on excluding God that they degrade man and defraud him. To de well, how do they do that? Through evolution. Like, mm. no, we came from monkeys. We were cavemen. Whoa, we're drawn yeah. on walls and stuff like that. Right. Like, no, God created man noble and upright. And, and we'd rather trade that mm. to get rid of God. It's just unbelievable. Mercy. What a statement. And that's yeah. what Peter's talking about there in that passage. Yeah, that is fascinating. And you know, it's, it's ironic too, because as we discussed, that 
the view that a lot of non-believing, you know, scientific, whatever, uh, I don't even want to say scientific no. people because there's plenty of Bible believers. I'm a scientific person. Exactly, but the view of many who would deride the yes. simple believers is that they are, you know, low IQ, that they're uninformed, that they're unenlightened, that they're simple people. But the reality is what they're, tr what, <laughs> what they're calling small and simple, we're saying, no, we were built in the image of God exactly for grand right. and noble purposes. And they're saying, no, 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 you're so small and lowbrow. <laughs> you got to understand we came from amoebas and then monkeys. And then, exactly. like, that's actually smaller <laughs> by a, almost unspeakable difference. Absolutely. Right? And so there is some irony there that they're trading, like you say, the glory of God in our creation for the indignity of man in the theory of evolution. Well, that leads into a point where the lesson makes down at the end of Monday's lesson, the last paragraph there says, the biblical account is sublime in depicting an omnipotent God who provides humanity with dignified purpose in a perfect world. This radical difference has caused scholars to conclude that in the end, these are very different creation accounts. Mm. So it's not just about a flood and it's just not just about creation, which incidentally these pagan or or origin stories basically say that God's created man to do work for them. Mm. But when you look at the creation account, it is so uniquely, there are so many things that are so uniquely uh, different. It's actually what I call a pagan corrective. If mm. you follow the biblical narrative, it will keep you from pagan thought. And let me, at the, at the foundation of pagan thought and pagan worship is the idea that there's a God or gods that your whole existence is for the purpose of appeasing their anger. Mm. That is not the picture we have in scripture. Mm. Uh, first of all, you have the, the whole purpose of man where God creates Adam and Eve and he does it on the last day. Mm. You know, of, for example, why do, you, why do you wait until last to create them? Because the you wanted <laughs> everything else to be ready for them. Mm -hmm. In other words, he, yeah, yeah, can you imagine he creates them on, you know, the third day and says, I know it's dark and, you know, it's, uh, there's not a lot of heat because the sun isn't yet and whatever. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know. It's going to get better. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. It's, he waits till everything is just right and he puts them in that environment and, you, you use, and then he puts them in charge of it. Okay. Mm. Uh, you have the fall of man, and what does God do? God seeks after man. Mm -hmm. You see that in, in coming into the garden in the cold day, you? looking yeah. for them, which is very different from pagan thought. In pagan thought, man seeks after God. God doesn't seek after man. Mm. You have the provision of the sacrifice. They're clothed with skins. Where did the skins come from? Well, Revelation 13 gives us some insight where it says, it calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it was a symbol of redemption right at the right very beginning. Right at the beginning. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And mm -hmm. he, there's the promise of redemption. Um, and then one of my favorite passages, in fact, uh, Genesis 3. Mm. I'm going to look at this one, verse 24. Uh, this one, a lot of e even Christians get a paganized view of this. And so it's really a fascinating view in Genesis 3. At the end of the chapter, verse... Um, verse 24, didn't you say? Yeah, let's start in verse 22. Okay. And the Bible says, why don't you read that, verses 22 to 24. Okay. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. <laughs> the verse is fascinating, and, and there's something behind this. But first of all, to, who's he guarding the way from? 
Like, well, because Adam and Eve didn't want them to eat the fruit, and that's true. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the King James Version says to keep the way of the tree of life. And what's interesting is where the Bible says here that a flaming sword which turned every way, if you read this in the Hebrew, it actually has reference to uh, literally not a sword, but the glittering of a sword. And it has reference to the Shekinah, the presence of God, mm. where God, God established his presence right there at that entrance of Eden in a, the closest thing we see is the sanctuary, in an atonement type of, it, this is where we're told this mm -hmm. in Spirit of Prophecy that, that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel came to offer sacrifices right there. In other words, the keeping the way of the tree of life, God couldn't allow an immortal sinner, everything would have been, would have gone to pieces, but he wanted to preserve a way for man to be redeemed. Oh, that's and beautiful. so far from God kicking him out, you can't come back. You have this consistent, the point all the way through this Genesis narrative, it's very different from the pagan concept of God. Right. And so repeated uh, uh, a picture where um, you don't just have uh, the flood and God made, right. you have a very different, and this is what the lesson well, is, a very a different of, account of this creation history. A lot of the taunting and scoffing, you know, the, it, people der deride religious people, Christ Christians specifically with it. They're like, you know, what's your God is different from the Hindu God, from the Buddhist God? Yes. And they'll, say, and they'll just kind of throw out, oh, there's been all kinds of gods and you're all just talking about the same thing. But what you've just not outlined is there is a not just, there is a qualitative difference to the story and the nature of God that it reveals through that story than other pagan gods and pagan religious traditions might revolve, ev right. uh, evoke. That the gods of paganism are often very petulant. They're very temper. They're very, you know, they're basically just really powerful, degraded human beings, right? And, they're, yes. and so we made, they made God in their image when the reality and, and is the God made us in His they image. they create mm -hmm. are just basically slaves to their passions. Right. And so their gods are simply expressions <laughs> of their own degraded humanity. That's right. But when the reality is God shows us a much better picture, a much, and praise the Lord, accurate picture of how we were begun and why we were begun in His image. That's right. And I, I included this passage, this uh, uh, quote last week. I'll keep a part of it this week. Uh, it's so powerful, Education, page 15. Again, it says, To restore in man the image of his maker, mm. that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. This is the object of education, the great object of life. And we see that throughout the account there in Genesis, that God's goal was not just to have a slave mm. to do whatever for him. He wanted man in his image. And even through the fall of man, he's, he, he sacrificed himself in order to bring man back to that original, uh, uh, to restore man in the image of his maker. Just powerful Just beautiful concept. stuff. Well, we should move on a little bit here, yes. but we have the, um, there, was, there was a statement um, in Wednesday's lesson there, uh, paragraph four, I believe it is. Yes. Um, about creation and time. Because so far we've talked about, to give a little context, we've talked about creation story yes. uh, and the sequence of the days and the, and the formation and even the qualitative why he would do it this way and the difference between paganism. But there still is the question of how far, even if a creation were true, how far back was it? Right. You know, is it trustworthy to say, because we hear those terms about 6,000 years, I think 42 different times in the writings of Ellen White she refers to 6,000 years or about 6,000 yes. years. And so there's a very limited time scale. And where do we get that from? Could it not be millions of years back? And the Bible actually speaks to that when it talks about its genealogies, its chronogenealogies. Yes. 
and I was referencing the fourth paragraph of Wednesday's lesson. But if we are to understand God's concept of time and its progression through history, we must recognize that these two chapters are both, it's referring to Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11, these two chapters are both historical and theological, linking Adam with the rest of humankind and God with man in the realm of the reaches of space and time. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a lot of loaded terminology, there, but, but basically they're saying the story of creation that we learned in Genesis 1 and 2 and then the fall in Genesis 3 right. is tied to the rest of the flow of history by these genealogies that link them uh, in literal numbers, they'll say, you That's know, right. you can add it up and it's chronologically verifiable. Well, like they said, they're inter- you know, you have a, a so-and-so has a son and then went on to have these sons and daughters and, and, and lived this many years. And his son went on to, and then step by step by step, it links mm-hmm. these, these genealogies in such a way that you can't really insert, you know, some people say, well, there are gaps in there. Well, there, there couldn't be a gap because it names all the, chi- all the kids right. and their lifespans and everything. So the way it's written, uh, that's why they called them in the lesson chronogenealogies, the way it's wit- written really doesn't allow for uh, an insertion or a deletion from that right. genealogy period. So people who have studied the biblical genealogies come up with about 6,000 years for mm-hmm. the period of, of the year's history. Well, and I think it's fascinating, too, because they have Genesis, people who will be theistic evolutionists yes. will say, I, I believe the story of the history of David and the history of Jesus and all the, the New Testament, of course. But when we get way back there, mm-hmm. Genesis 1 through 11, we have the creation and the flood accounts. That's where it's a little sketchy. But what the Lord did brilliantly, I believe, is he put those genealogies yes. in such a place that you couldn't say, well, this whole block is separate and then starts the real time element. Right. He put those sequences <laughs> woven into the very things they're trying to dispute. That's exactly and right. the same thing happens in the New Testament. For instance, the, you know, the genealogy of Jesus. It goes all the way back, not only to David, but then again, all the way back to Adam right. himself. Who is the son of God. Exactly, who is the son of God. <laughs> so you have to say, all right, if I'm gonna take the stories as figurative or metaphor or symbolism, whatever, or even just fiction. Yes. I have to draw a line and somebody on this side of the line is real and then one person behind that line is fake. Right? You, know what I'm <laughs> right. you have to draw a line right. and the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't allow for that because it's just written in a way that it assumes it happened and then the next thing happened, there's a flow of history that's unbroken. And I that's think right. that's just intriguing. Well, it is. And uh, moving on to the lesson, you commented on, well, on not only the genealogies, and we've talked about this before, but just the testimony throughout the New Testament mm-hmm. that affirm that Genesis account. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lesson on Thursday just lists off uh, quotes from Jesus and from from, from uh uh, John and Paul and Peter and, you know, right on through the More New Testament, Jude, yeah. all attesting and affirming the creation account. And I think that was their point. Obviously, their point was because it all goes through New Testament. But I had to throw one in from the Old Testament. Of course, this is not intended by the authors or, or by us to be an exhaustive list of all sure, of the Sure, there's more than just these dozen or so. Yeah. affirm... In other words, the Bible writers believed the creation account, believed it was literal, it literally happened, like it said it happened, etc. To me, one of the most powerful and one of my favorites is in Psalm 33. Mm. Uh, And uh, obviously an Old Testament passage where David attests to the creation 
Mm. And the language of this is interesting. Psalm 33 in verse 6, the Bible says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And then in verse 9, he explicitly states how the word of the Lord made those things. He says in verse 9, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hmm. So he attests not only to the creation account, but just as it was in right. the beginning, Which God Genesis said. Says, he said, let there be, and there was. And this right. is how it happened. And then notice the next couple verses. He says in verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Mm. So it's almost in this context, it's interesting in the discussion we're having, uh, David's saying, look, God spoke and it was, happened just like he said. People can say what they want. They can believe or disbelieve, but God's going to bring the counsel of the nations to nothing. Mm. The only thing that's going to stand forever, it makes me think of the words of Isaiah, the word of the Lord, just, is, is the counsel of God. Mm. And so it is with the account of the origin story. It makes as well. me think of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, when he was like, he had been shown this is what the truth yes. is instead of his history was prophecy going forward that there'll be Babylon, the Medo Persian Greece. But he rejected that and the Lord brought it to nothing, right? He's going to intervene. Exactly. And, and the same thing happens not just with prophecy, but history as well. That the earth is exactly what the Lord called it, he, how he created it, and all of the nations will be silent before that truth. That's right. Um, you're going to the New Testament now? I'm going to the book of Romans. Okay. And, you know, I, we're, we're talking about the affirmation of the scripture authors, but more than affirmation, um, I have to say that in Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks with authority on, not only on attesting to the validity of the creation story, but also um, strong words of counsel to those who don't believe it. And uh, Romans chapter 1, if we pick up in verse 18, the apostle says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, notice the words, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now that phrase already, <laughs> yeah. you, you, to suppress something is, first of all, you have to know it's there. Exactly. They're not ignorant of the truth. It, it implies that you know it and you're trying to push it out. You don't want to know it. You don't want other people to know it. You are working intentionally to get rid of it. And why is that? Notice the context yeah, yeah. now. To suppress the truth in unrighteousness, verse 19, because what be, may be known of God is manifest in them, or to them some translations say, for God has shown it to them. Okay, so they're suppressing the truth because... What can be known about God, God's revealed to them. He's shown it to them. Mm. How has he shown it to them? Look at the next verse. Because although, verse 21. I know, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, mm. being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Mm. And the passage goes on, but just... So Paul's not just affirming. He's saying you have no legitimate excuse mm. not to believe in creation. There's one other passage I want to put with this because it ties into our, our memory verse. In fact, we're going to look at both of them. Uh, Psalm 19. In fact, Cameron, I'm going to have you read 
from Psalm 19. Now, verse 1 was our memory verse this week. Okay. But we're going to look at, let me see which verses we want to go to here. Psalm 19, and let's go through verse 4. You want to start with verse... I mean, to start 1 to with 4. 1 to 4. Okay, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, this is already powerful, but it's going to get more powerful. I know where it's going okay. here in, in, in what Paul does with it in Romans. But let's okay. just be clear on this. He starts with the heavens and the firmament. In other words, it shows his, God's handiwork. In other words, what he's made. Mm -hmm. Okay, talking about creation. And then he says, day unto day, and he's speaking again in the context of creation, utters speech. Mm -hmm. So who's speaking? The creation, the creation is speaking. Testifying. And to night creator. unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice, whose voice? The created works of and, God. Isn't that interesting how he says that because you might have different languages spoken, different people, different perspectives who never met each other. But this is a universal but there's a language. common language of creation. <laughs> That's exactly right. And it says, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words, whose words? Creation. The created works of God to the end of the world. Now watch what happens with this. This is absolutely incredible in Romans chapter 10. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 10 and um, I want to get there to see what I want to start with. This is just an incredible passage about the importance of uh, the preaching of the gospel. I suppose we'll start in verse nine to get the, the general thought. It's always thought. tough in, in a Pauline passage. Uh, yeah, you Where do you go. start? Let's start like in verse one. Chapter one, verse one. <laughs> exactly. Let's start back at Romans one. Exactly. Romans uh, chapter 10, verse nine. And again, it's still in the middle of a thought, but it says, if that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, and now I'm going to jump ahead to verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, his point here is pretty obvious and plain, straightforward. It's, you know, how... Whoever believes on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. How are you going to believe unless you hear the message? Right. And you're not going to hear the message unless somebody preaches the message. Mm -hmm. And somebody's not going to preach unless they're sent with the message. Right. Okay? So far, you know, we get, yeah, Very somebody's simple. going to preach the message. Now, now watch what he does in verse uh, 16. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And somebody may say, well, they didn't hear it. That's why they haven't obeyed it. Mm. Watch what he go, where he goes. So then faith, verse 17, comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. And notice now he quotes from the 19th Psalm. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Mm. So... In the absence of a preacher, well, you know, I didn't have a, I, I have an excuse for not believing in God because I really never heard of it. Mm -hmm. Have they not all heard? Right. The line, the voice of God's created works has spoken across the globe. 
So they are, in the words of Paul in Romans 1, without excuse. Absolutely. You know, and I was thinking about that, how the, you know, in, in earlier in the book of Romans, he lays out the case that, of course, those who have the scriptures are accountable to that scripture, but it doesn't imply then that those who don't have the scripture have no accountability. He said, right. no, all are accountable because, though it may not be at the same depth and level, but all have some element of the knowledge of God that they're accountable to. You know, I was watching a fascinating documentary, and I'm going to pause right here, and I'm going to highly recommend that you take, you know, the days are getting longer now as we're going into the spring and summertime, mm-hmm. and so you've got plenty of time, especially on Sabbath now. If you want to watch a good mm-hmm. film, you can go to uh, YouTube, and we'll put a link right here, but it's called Is Genesis History? And I'm already a Bible-believing Christian, and it was just Mm. fascinating to watch this, but as I'm reviewing all the different geological and different, uh, uh, you know, scientific reasons why evolutionary theory isn't the best explanation, and the biblical account actually harmonizes most with science, as soon as you start seeing that, you know, man, there was a catastrophic flood, and there really was, right? you don't even have to, like, have a preacher interpret that for you, now that means there's a God, and there's automatically you start putting together, it's like, oh man, this world has been destroyed. That means it was is created and there is a God and I'm accountable for him. And, That's right. and that idea that Paul was trying to make and Peter was making in the New Testament, that even the nature itself speaks to man of a creator and a judge to whom we are accountable. That's right. And, the reason, and if you notice, both for Paul and for Peter, the reason they willfully forget or they suppress the truth, it's in unrighteousness mm-hmm. because of the lust of the... They don't want that count. Jesus said it to Nicodemus. I mean, the reason yes. people don't come to the light isn't because it isn't clear. That's right. It's because it is clear and they just don't like they where it leads. Darkness more they prefer the darkness more darkness because their deeds are evil. Yes. Over and over. Well, you know, I think about... Uh, there's a statement there that we have from Steps to Christ that says that very similarly, but I was thinking about an interview I saw with uh, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins, again, God delusion and, yeah. and uh, you know, very strong... Militant atheist. Militant atheist. <laughs> but they asked him, the interviewer asked him, so, look, we're, we're all going to die. What happens if you die and, and you are brought face-to-face with a God you don't believe in? What are you going to say? And he said something like, and you've seen it as well, like, mm-hmm. I'd ask him where he was hiding. Yeah. And I think about what Paul, what Paul's telling us here in these passages we just read is you're going to have your opportunity to tell God, ask God where he was hiding. And then God's going to come to you, would you say, with the, with the Just Job. like the Job kind of questionnaire, <laughs> the rhetorical questioning of Job, like where were you where created? And, you the had, and he's just going to lay out case by case by case where you may not have known and all that you could have, be but without, without excuse. excuse. You know, there's a scripture that talks about that, how let, every, let God be true and every man a liar. We're going to get That's there. That's right. So, so... Um, why don't you read that statement from Steps, Steps to Christ? Steps to Christ, just page what 111. You were talking right, about, it yeah. goes right along with those scriptures. She, she writes, Disguise it as they may, the real cause of doubt and skepticism, in most cases, is the love of sin. The teachings and restrictions of God's word are not welcome to the proud, sin-loving heart, and those who are unwilling to obey its requirements are ready to doubt its authority. In order to arrive at truth, we must have a sincere desire to know the truth and a willingness of heart to obey it. And all who come in this spirit to the study of the Bible will find abundant evidence that it is God's word, and they may gain an understanding of its truth that will make them wise unto salvation. Mm. If you want to know the truth, God has made it available in his two books of scripture and of nature. That's right. You had referred to Romans 3 and verse 4. Yes. In fact, I'm going to read 3 and 4. Romans 3 verse 3 says, For what if some did not, and this is powerful in the context of what we're saying, what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Mm. 
Certainly not. God forbid in the King James. Mm -hmm. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Mm. So this is speaking to the, you know, there are some who don't believe. Does that discredit the word? No. Because somebody doesn't believe? Let God be true and every man a liar. There's plenty of evidence for, as we've mentioned in this, uh, what are we going to do with that evidence? Um, the, the lesson finishes with this statement from Third Spiritual Gifts, page 93. And uh, Ellen White writes here, I have been shown that without Bible history, geology can prove nothing. Relics found in the earth do give evidence of a state of things differing in many respects from the present. And you, you've referred to that. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> science goes on the assumption that everything has been at the same rate of growth or decline or whatever. Mm -hmm. There was a cataclysmic worldwide yes. flood in there. Yeah, it's going to mess with and the And I was data. telling yeah. you, I remember watching, there was an old ad for businesses to get up with the times. And, it, and, and I remember listening to it, it was a radio ad and they said, you know, the dinosaurs are extinct because they failed to adapt to a rapidly changing environment, you know, like business. <laughs> and I said, yeah, they couldn't swim. Yeah. You know, so the whole Very thing, rapidly you changing, have, yeah. You have a very... The flood, it, 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 you, you, it ruins all the constants. So the, 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 the way that science measures time and, you know, the, the different dating methods are all affected by that. Mm. And this is the point that she is making. Relics found in the earth do give evidence of a state of things differing in many respects from the present. But the time of their existence and how long a period these things have been in the earth are only to be understood by Bible history. Mm. It may be innocent to conjecture beyond Bible history if... Our suppositions do not contradict the facts found in the sacred scriptures. But when men leave the word of God in regard to the history of creation and seek to account for God's creative works upon natural principles, they are upon a boundless ocean of uncertainty. Just how God accomplished the work of creation in six literal days, he has never revealed to mortals. His creative works are just as incomprehensible as his existence. Mm. But just because he hasn't shown us how he did it does not negate the fact that he did it. That's right. And the Bible makes it And you it had clear. made the point, yeah. and as it says in there, there's nothing wrong with mulling things over and conjecturing mm -hmm. right. as long as it doesn't... Right. Jettison the truth that we've been told. Right. Our, clearly, even, even we've referenced it before that John talks about how if everything that Jesus has done to it would fill the whole world right. with the books, right? That if we're talking about creation... If the Bible were to point by point talk about every creative aspect of everything, there's no way it wasn't built for that. But the testimony it does give us is trustworthy, it's accurate, and it's a, and it's a truth that we can build our lives on today. Absolutely. And so I'm excited about that. Friends, I hope you have enjoyed our study today. I have deeply been blessed by it, and, and I trust that as we look at the world around us, we won't see any conflict with Scripture. We'll actually see a complement to what the Word of God gives us. It's, it's nature is God's second book, and we can see His handwriting on it just as well as we can in the Scripture. So I'm excited about that. And as we leave today, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for being a God of creative power. For in that creation, we can see not only our beginning, but we also see the story of redemption. And we can trust in Your recreative power that can transform our lives even now and someday very soon take us to heaven to be with you for eternity. So Lord, we want to ask that you would bless us today, forgive any doubt or skepticism we might have had, and renew us again in the truth of your word 
that we can have that firm foundation that will carry us through all uncertainties and be ready for Jesus when He comes again. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you.